Welcome to New City Sermon Podcast. Join us as we open God's Word to be empowered and challenged today. City Church family borrow your pastor last week. He did a phenomenal job, and I hope you guys enjoyed uh, Pastor Brad Jones. We call him Tall Brad. I'm Short Brad. Uh, So you get Short Brad today, so we'll see how that goes. But uh, love this church. Uh, Love your pastor. Uh, I get to pray with him every week. He's kind of my pastor um, in this city, and just somebody that I can go to and bear my burdens to and, and just be encouraged by. So you all are in great hands. Uh, I know King Jesus is, uh, is supplying your needs. You have a wonderful church, a wonderful pastor, and it's great to be here. Um, so this is actually my first time here at New City Fellowship, and I actually get the joy to preach about the new city. Uh, at the end of the Bible, in Revelation 22, we get a picture of the new city, so I don't know how this got lined up, but I'm honored. So I'm going to pray for us real quick, and then I'm going to read from Revelation chapter 22. Jesus, would you meet us here? Would you help us to understand uh, what it is you have for us? Would you instill in us hope? Uh, we need it. We need hope. And you are a God of hope. You have it for us. You have an abundant supply And we're here because we need access to it. And we know that it's found from your gospel. Help us to see the gospel, the good news of you, King Jesus, we pray in your name. Amen. Amen. All right, Revelation chapter 22 says this. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, as clear as crystal flowing from the throne of God and, and of the Lamb. Down the middle of the great street of the city... On each side of the river stood the tree of life, bearing 12 crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be any curse. The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city, and His servants will serve Him. They will see His face, and His name will be on their foreheads. There will be no more light, no more night. They will not need the light of the lamp or the light of the sun, for the Lord God will give them light, and they will reign forever and ever. The angel said to me, these words are trustworthy and true. The Lord, the God who inspires the prophets, sent his angel to show his servants the things that must soon take place. Look, I am coming soon. Blessed is the one who keeps the words of the prophecy written in this scroll. I, John, am the one who heard and saw these things. And when I heard and, and when, I, when, I see, when I saw them, I fell down to worship at the feet of the angel who had been showing them to me. But he said to me, don't do that. I am a fellow servant with you and with your fellow prophets and with all who keep the words of the scroll. Worship God. Then he told me, do not seal up the words of the prophecy of this scroll because the time is near. Let the one who does wrong continue to do wrong. Let the vile person continue to be vile. Let the one who does right continue to do right. And let the holy person continue to be holy. Author Peter Senge uh, noticed uh, the tribes of northern Natal and South Africa were unique. 
He said the most common uh, uh, greeting they had equivalent to hello in English is the expression sawu bona. It literally means I see you. And he says if you are a member of the tribe, you might reply by saying sikona, I am here. So the order of the exchange is important, the author notes. Until you see me, I do not exist. It's as if when you see me, you bring me into existence. I mean, isn't that beautiful? I I see you. And to say those words to one another, creating this culture where where you value other human beings. So I want you to take note of that and then contrast this with another culture. The Associated Press ran a story recently about something happening in Mumbai, India. There's a gathering there of 285 girls, and they all had something in common, the same name. At birth, the 285 girls had been named Nakusa, which means unwanted in the primary Indian language of Hindi. The name unwanted is widely given to girls across India where families often value sons much more than daughters. As a result, female babies have been aborted or neglected at an alarming rate, the article reads. And you know that all of those 285 girls are longing to hear the exact same thing. I see you. I see you. For someone to speak them into existence, filling them with value and with dignity and with worth. This is the meaning of Christmas. This is what Jesus Christ came into the world to do, to see us, to give our lives dignity and worth, to bring them all of those things. This is what Jesus came into the world to do. Sawu Bona, I see you. And here's what ended up happening. The poor, the marginalized, the oppressed, and anyone else who could declare their need flocked to Jesus. They loved Jesus when Jesus came into the world and Christianity grew. Uh, People now seen by God through Jesus were filled with poise, were filled with strength, but they were radically opposed. So at the end of the first century, uh, the Roman emperor Domitian, was the, he was the first emperor to bring widespread persecution to Christians. Christians in that first century had their homes taken away. They were uh, sent into arenas, torn apart by wild beasts. They were impaled on stakes. They were covered with pitch and they were lit. Christians were crucified, sometimes by hundreds, sometimes by thousands. Along the highways, in and out of Rome... There they were, dying, dead, so the people could see Christians as they came in the city and out of the city, suffering and dying. That's what they faced in the first century. Now, what was it that John gave them in the book of Revelation to help them face the hardships and the persecution and the suffering? The new city. That's what he gave them, this picture, this vision of the new heavens and the new earth. 
And guess what? You and I need it too. In the midst of a pandemic with physical health at risk, uh, mental health at risk, economic uncertainty, increased unemployment, civil unrest, there's fear, there is isolation and loneliness. What, what is it that we need? We need to know that God sees us and that there is a compelling future that awaits. So what we're going to do is we're going to talk about that future today, all right? Here it is. What is it? What does it look like? Um, how does it come to us? Uh, what, do we, what do we need for it? And, and finally, how in the world do we get it? Okay, so we're going to walk through those things. First, what, what does the future look like? What, what's the vision we see in Revelation 22? What does the world look like? Here's how, here's how to really ask it. What does the world look like when God gets the world the way he wants it? A city. The Bible begins in a garden, and it ends in a city. But it's not just any city, it's a garden city. You read the vision here in chapter 22? There are trees, and there are rivers, and there are waters. It's a garden city. So let's break down garden and city for a second. Now, what makes a city a city? It's a dense population. That's what the word ultimately means, city. It's a dense population. See, many people want to go leave the city to go see the beauty of God's creation, right? And I'm going to go to North Carolina, I think, and hopefully in January or February. And part of the reason why I want to go is I want to see beauty, right? I want to see nature. I want to see God's creation teeming with life. But the way God sees it, cities contain more images of God per square mile than anywhere else. And he finds that beautiful. God thinks cities are beautiful. That's why when God gets the world the way he wants it, it's a city. But it's not just any city. It's a garden city. That's the picture in Revelation 22. It has natural beauty, rivers and trees and waters, but it's all unique and it's all extraordinary. The river is crystal clear. It's called the river of life. The leaves of the trees Think about that. Leaves of trees, you see that in Revelation 22, are often used for medicinal purposes, for medical purposes. But these leaves of these trees are for what? The healing of the nations. So what's happening here when you put it all together? In the future, God's city will have everything that is great about cities. Density, images of God everywhere but none of the things we hate about cities. <laughs> you know, as much as I want to say at this point is this, God's view of the city here at New City should inform your view of the city and my view of the city. Um, let me just poke and prod a little bit, okay? How are you doing with city life? Anybody get a little agitated sometimes? A little bit, a little bit? Um... You know, your first instinct in holiday traffic is not to say, wow, look at the density, more images of God per square mile than anywhere else. This is beautiful. This is, this is, this is great. More images of God now than any other time in the year. No, no, no. So we've got a little bit 
of an issue with cities. Um, but I just want you to trace this throughout the scriptures for a second with me. Will you con- at least consider what God says about cities and how to relate to them? Jeremiah 29, God's people are exiled in Babylon, described as a vile, an evil city, an evil place. And, and through God, Jeremiah the prophet put it this way, if the city flourishes, so will you. So <laughs> here's how God put it for him. Our spiritual formation their spiritual formation is tied to the formation of the city. So when people ask, how is New City Fellowship doing? From now on, you know, if you're not already doing this, the answer isn't just how many people are in Bible studies, you know, uh, small groups, volunteer teams. But how are the businesses doing in the city? How How are the schools doing in the city? How are the poor, the marginalized doing in the city? Is there justice? Is there equity? Is that taking place? Our spiritual formation is tied to the formation of the city. Another example uh, of as the city flourishes, so do you. The book of Jonah in the Hebrew scriptures, Jonah wanted nothing to do with this wicked, pagan city of Nineveh, all those awful, wicked pagans in it. And God says to Jonah, hey, there are 120,000 people. This is at the end of the book. There are 120,000 people there who don't know their right hand from their left. How could I not be moved with compassion for that great city? This is why I love your name. New city. When God gets the world the way he wants it, it's a new city. And if you've learned to look at life and the world the way God does, you will love the city. You'll love this city. Okay? So that's what it looks like. That's what the future looks like. Now, how does it come to us? Well, it comes in stages. Jesus called the church a city on a hill. Paul said in the book of Philippians that we are citizens of the city of heaven. The church, here's what this is saying, the church is to show the world what the city of God looks like on earth as it is in heaven. The church is a city on a hill, meaning it's a city within a city. It's an alternative society within the earthly city giving a foretaste of the kingdom of God, of what the kingdom of God values, what the kingdom of God looks like, what the kingdom of God is all about. The church New City Fellowship, where I'm at, City Church, we are these alternative societies within our cities to show the city what the kingdom of God looks like on earth as it is in heaven. The message of Jesus is that even though the city of God has not come in all of its glory yet, amen, everybody can resonate with that. This vision of Revelation 22, it ain't here yet. It's not here, but it has started. It has started. Theologians call it the time between when Jesus first came, the first advent, and the second advent when he comes again. Theologians have called it the already and the not yet. That's where we live. Jesus has already come, but Revelation 22, it's not yet all here. 
So we live in that tension. God's kingdom is not here yet. The fullness of heaven has not come to earth yet. But, but think about verse 2 of Revelation 22. If you go back and read it today, it says, In the city of God, there is the healing for the nations. Our job on earth is to get on with that healing now in the present. That's what we do as a church. That's what we do as churches. Heaven is coming to earth to renew it, to restore it. It's why we pray, God, let your will be done. Let your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. And if we don't embrace that, here's what's at stake. If we don't embrace this vision of heaven coming to earth and seeing our role in it, maybe Karl Marx was right. Karl Marx famously said that religion is the opiate of the masses. And he probably wasn't thinking of that turn-the-other-cheek stuff or love-thy-neighbor stuff, but rather, the more heavenly-minded you are, the less earthly good you are. That's what he was thinking. You see that reflected in John Lennon's song, Imagine. Great, you know, got a great melody. Um, But just listen to these words. Imagine there's no heaven. Imagine all the people then living for today. All right. Heaven properly understood does the exact opposite. The more heavenly minded you are, the more earthly good you are. That's how it works for the people of God. The more your hope is in the biblical vision of the new heavens and the new earth, Revelation 22 the more earthly good you are because God is renewing this world and inviting us to get on with it in the present. This is how Christianity has grown. This is how it always grew. Rodney Starks is a sociologist. He wrote a book called The Rise of Christianity, and he was asking the question, how was it that Christianity exploded in the first few centuries over a 100-year period? Get this. The empire went from 8% of Christ, had Christians, 8% were Christians, to 50% over a 100-year period. And one of the reasons, he notes, is that there were two great plagues during the Roman Empire uh, that devastated the city. 5,000 people a day in Rome were dying when Rome wasn't more than a million people. Think about that. The Greeks and the Romans only knew that it was spread through contact. So what ended up happening is the rich fled from the cities because they had the means to do it. The doctors fled the cities. They would even abandon their own family members. Everybody fled but the Christians. The Christians stayed in the city, even in a pandemic. They cared not only for their sick but for the pagan sick as well. Many Christians died. Many did. And when people got better, they became Christians because they woke up on these sick beds and they opened their eyes for the first time and standing before them was a Christian. And when they asked the question, why are you here? Everybody else left. The Christian's answer was, because of you. I'm here for you. We should be a community that wipes the tears 
away from the eyes of the people in our communities, to find the hurt and the pain and move towards it with costly love. The early church had this vision of the new city, and they knew that their part was to get on with that in the present, to bring the healing presence of Jesus wherever they were. So, does that sound daunting at all? (laughs) It does to me a little bit. So, wait a second. There's a city, and we're supposed to be a sign of it on earth as it is in heaven. We're supposed to be the very healing presence of Jesus. You know, you know I'm having trouble paying my bills on time. I have, I'm having trouble changing my, me? I have, I have to get my air filter sent to me directly because I will just forget to change it, okay? That's where I'm at in my life, all right? <laughs> and now I got all this bringing the very presence of Jesus everywhere I go. I mean, what do you need? Let's ask that question. What do you need? Well, remember the text is saying we're citizens of heaven as we're citizens of earth, meaning we're, we're actually supposed to be. This is why it's so daunting if you think about it. We're, Christians should be the very best citizens of the earthly city, and that's daunting. I'm going to need help with that. So here's, here's where we begin to get a clue about what that help looks like. And once you figure out what you need, then you can figure out, where am I way off? Verse 4, they will see his face and his name will be on their foreheads. Now, we'll get to the foreheads piece in a second. But what's all this talk about the name? This is in direct contrast to Genesis chapter 11. There in Genesis chapter 11 people built an earthly city. And what they did is they tried to build a tower to God. And in Genesis 11, 4, we're told that they all got together and here was their motivation. for. It's all about motivation, right? What, what were they actually after? Here's what it said. Let's build this great tower. Let's build this city to make a name for ourselves. See, they were building Babylon. They were building this city without God. That's what Babylon represents in the Bible, the city without God. And it's defined by you making a name for yourself. And the outcome you find when you trace it is that um, people are always exhausted when they try to do that on their own. If you try to build a name apart from God, it leads to exhaustion and it leads to oppression. We hope you're inspired by God's word. What have you learned so far? As you listen, pray about applying it to your life. Let's continue in God's word. Have you ever burned out? Have you ever um, been on the verge of it? We all know stories of burnout. We all know stories of people who have fallen from grace. Remember Lance Armstrong, the cyclist? Uh, ESPN did a documentary, documentary on him this year. You know, he beat cancer in 1996. All eyes were on Lance Armstrong. He returned to cycling the following year. But it was in 1991 when he won his first Tour de France. And the most prestigious, difficult race, and his status was elevated, and he became one of the most revered athletes of our time. And then, of course, if you know his story, he fell from grace. 
over the use of performance-enhancing drugs. And as he reflects back on, on it all, listen to what he says. He said, I was the guy who had the titles. I won seven tours, had millions in the bank, rock star wife, kids, and I had to lie because, quote, I couldn't keep it all up. There's the exhaustion. But you also hear the oppression. He admitted, I was a bully to so many people. The interviewer said, what caused you to lie to risk it all? And he said, a ruthless desire to win. Do you hear the exhaustion? Do you hear the oppression? That's not just Lance Armstrong. That's all of us. We are bombarded every day with the ability to make a name for ourselves apart from God, to base our identities on things other than the name of God. Have you created an identity that has caused in your life exhaustion and oppression? Realize if you construct an identity apart from God, that's what always happens. So if your identity is, I'm a hardworking person, that's who I am in this world. I'm not, I'm not like other people. I'm a hardworking person. It leads to exhaustion and oppression. Oppression, you end up despising lazy people. Why? Because you're the hardworking person. I'm a liberal, open-minded person. Okay. But you hate conservatives. <laughs> you, you end up labeling other people. You end up demonizing other people. If you go into the earthly city to make a name for yourself, it becomes a place of exhaustion, a place of oppression. But if you go into the earthly city, into this city, as a citizen of heaven, and you know your true identity is found in the God who sees you, in the God who knows you, in the God who loves you, then you know you've already made it. You know what happens? You stop getting so needy. You don't need to win so much. You don't need to accrue so much. You don't need to try to keep it all together so much. The only way you will ever stop obsessing over your well-being is when you realize someone else is already obsessed over your well-being. That your name is written How do you live as the city of God in this earthly, city, this earthly city? What do you need to bring with you? You have to bring the name. You have to bring the name with you. We have his name. So finally, how do you get it? And if you feel like you already have it, how do you get, how do you get more of it in your life? How do you get refreshed with it each and every day? How do you get the name? Well, do you have to be a good person? Um, I mean, if so... That's not good news. Um, it's, it's actually bad news. It's bad news for people um, who have done bad things. If the only way you get this name is you have to be a good person, then that excludes bad people. That means they're out. No hope, no redemption. But it's also bad news for people who feel like they're good and are trying to keep it up and trying to be good. Because, I mean, how do you know you're good enough? How do you know? So, you know, you go to the pearly gates in the end, and there's a line, you know, waiting to get in heaven. I mean, you think I feel pretty good about myself. What if Mother Teresa's right in front of you? 
you know? <laughs> what if you got to get in line after her? And then you're going, I, I, I mean, maybe I'm not that good, <laughs> you know? Religion is exhausting. So what is this thing about the forehead in the passage? Do you know who had the name of God on the forehead? It was only the high priest in the Old Testament who had the name of Yahweh on his forehead. And it was only on Yom Kippur when he came back into the Holy of Holies with the blood sacrifice for sins. That's what this is referring to. The the high priest had Yahweh on his forehead on Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement, bringing the blood sacrifice into the Holy of Holies. Only he was allowed to go back there. Draw a line from there to Revelation chapter 22. Do you know what John is saying? In the city of God, we're all high priests. We will all know the very presence of God, the very glory of God. We will all usher into His presence. We will see Him as He is. We'll have the very thing that used to be fatal on contact. And do you know why we'll have the presence? It's because Jesus is the final sacrifice. Jesus is is the blood sacrifice. See, the story of God ends in Revelation chapter 22. It's a sacrificial love story. That's how it ends. See, in verse 4, it says that in the city to come, there is perpetual light. Why? Because Jesus on the cross took the darkness. For three hours at the cross, the sky drew dark. In the city to come, we're told what? That the river, there's a river that flows continually. Why do we get that river? Because Jesus' thirst on the cross, separated from God. Look at the text. There's a tree of life. We get a tree of life in the city to come. Why? Because Jesus, Jesus climbed the tree of death. There on the cross, he hung in our place. The text says that in the city to come, there's no curse. Why? Why is there blessing and no curse? Because Jesus was accursed for us. Jesus, we're told, Galatians 3.13, cursed is anyone who hangs on a tree. Who did that? Jesus. Why do we get the face of God? Why do we get the face of God in this passage? Because Jesus gave it up on the cross. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why have you removed your face from me? See, the Bible ends with a warning and an invitation. The time is near. Let the one who does wrong continue to do wrong. Let the vile person continue to be vile. Let the one who does right continue to be right. Let the holy person continue to be holy This is John's way of saying, you're going to live forever. You're going to live forever. And in the end, you get what you want. If you want a life apart from God, you can have it. It's a tragic choice. You can have it. You can make a name of yourself by being your own Lord, your own master, but it will lead to exhaustion and and oppression in perpetuity forever. 
But if you want life with God, you can have that too. If you're, if you're built, building your identity on grace, on the substitutionary life of Jesus, you get the city. It is yours forever. In Mumbai, those 285 girls were gathered together, not just because they shared the same name, but because they were at a renaming ceremony. This ceremony was an attempt to give the girls a new identity. The article reported, the 285 girls wearing their best outfits with berets, braids, and bows in their hair, lined up to receive certificates with their new names along with small flower bouquets. Some of the girls chose new names that meant prosperous, beautiful, good, or even very tough. One girl who had been named Nakusa, unwanted, by her grandfather who was disappointed in her birth, said, Now in school, my classmates and friends will be calling me by this new name, and that makes me so very happy. Listen, this Advent season, in the midst of all the trials of life, in the midst of the weirdest year of all time, don't you forget this. Don't you forget this. You have a new city. And you have a new name. And it's the name of God, and it's written on your foreheads. Amen? Thank you for listening to New City Sermon Podcast. For more information, check us out at www.newcityhh.com. We'll see you next week.